Thank you for choosing to listen to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. For more resources and information on our church or our team, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook. This morning, I want to tell you, uh, introduce our next speaker for today, who's going to be bringing today's message. And I want to tell you a little bit of story, because I know that there's some of you here that are new to this church and maybe haven't had a long history here with us. But about uh, 400 years ago, I'm joking, 14 years ago, God laid a dream on two people's hearts, and that was to plant a church in Austin, Texas. Uh, and so they left the beautiful, amazing, amazing, sunny and foresty state of Alabama <laughs> to come all the way to Texas, Austin in particular, to plant a church. That church was called Church at Lake Travis much later on. Initially, it was called Free Chapel. That couple sits here today, and that's Ashley and Jeremy Self. And the reason I'm bringing that up to you today is that this church, this lampstand that we're in today, is as a result of their faithfulness to a call of God. And so they honored God's call. They picked up where they left. Derek mentioned it last week in his preaching, came all the way here to plant a church. We today are the beneficiaries of God's grace, but their faithfulness. And so I just want to honor Jeremy and Ashley for listening to and hearing the voice of God and for moving when God said go, because we've got to know every single one of you because of what they've done. Ultimately, it's the Lord. We know that. But they're an amazing couple. We want to honor them. This morning, we have the privilege of hearing from Jeremy, who used to lead this church for many years before he handed over to us. And so I want to honor you, Jeremy and Ashley. Thank you for everything that you do for us. Jeremy, we're excited to hear the word, and we know that God's going to use you mightily today. Thank Amen. You. Thank you. Um, I also would like to just, I believe the kingdom currency is honor. And so I want to honor you and Kat for leading us so well. Um, it certainly isn't easy to uh, allow ministry to go through the body, and you are so good at that. And I love seeing the church thrive as a result of you just giving ministry away. And so thank you for that. We honor you. Um, for those who are here visiting today, thank you for being here. And as Marco said, um, I used to lead the church, but I've certainly surrendered all leadership to him. And so he's the pastor and we get the privilege of serving under his leadership and we're grateful for that. So um, if you are watching online, thanks for being here today. Uh, all thousand of you that's watching online, we're glad that you're here. Um, so... We've been in this series for Advent, and we started the first week uh, talking about hope. And if you remember, if you were here, um, Marco, you were talking about maybe people who've lost hope and you, that they maybe have even bought into the lie that the enemy is saying that they're hopeless. And you, you shared two words with us that day, and the words were, stop it. Um, and those two words reminded me of this uh, compassionate counselor. I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. So I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. <laughs> so, what are you saying? 
<laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. <laughs> stop it. So I should just stop it. There you go. <laughs> but I, I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me... No, 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 no. No, we, we don't go there. <laughs> no, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, just stop it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, that, I thought that was a good way to start today, um, that we would laugh a little bit, um, because we are talking about joy, and I want us to laugh um, as we talk about joy today, um, because last week, Derek spoke, and all we did was cry, um, so I think it's important that we do laugh. Um, I saw this meme uh, recently that says, by replacing your morning coffee with green tea, you can lose up to 87% of what little joy you have left in your life. <laughs> and I just thought, man, we don't need less joy, we need more joy. And um, Marco loves the Reformation, as we learned about a few months ago, right? We talked about uh, lots of history in the Reformation, and we learned about all the solas, and they were, it was an amazing series that we did. Um, he left out one piece of information, though, and I'll share it with you today, that coffee first reached Europe in 1515, and Martin Luther sparked the Reformation in 1517. <laughs> so you've got to beware of a caffeinated pastor, Okay. <laughs> And if you're not laughing yet, then you definitely need more joy today, okay? So, um, recently Ashley and I were flying out to Charlotte, North Carolina. We were going to see our oldest son, Tyler, who's out at an apprenticeship in Charlotte. And we were on a Southwest Airlines flight. And if you know Southwest Airlines, they like to start the flight with something light, right? Like, you, they know people get anxiety on planes, and so they want to lighten the mood. And so we had a uh, attendant, and he said, hey, my name's Benny, and I'll be your flight attendant today. And I see all you beautiful people out there. Yes, you. Yeah, you. You know, and it was fun, and this fun spirit. And he said, well, like I said, my name is Benny, and are there any other Bennies here? And he said, and no one raised their hand, of course, and he said, well, that means that I am the one and the only Benny and the Jets. And so, now Benny didn't just want to take us on a journey, he wanted to take us on a joy journey, and that's what I hope to do today. I hope that we can go on a joy journey. So let's pray and invite the Lord, because I don't know about you, but I need him. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word, and we need you in this place, God, um, because when we look around our world, we don't see a whole lot of joy. Um, we see a lot of things that are counterfeit, um, that pose as uh, temporary joy, but God, we know you're the one who brings lasting joy. So I pray today that our hearts will be full of joy, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Our passage today comes from the OG Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, and um, we read this as we celebrate Advent, and we're going to kind of use this as a springboard today. We're going to look at two aspects of joy, and then we're going to look at four ways. I'm a teacher at heart, and so I love to teach, and 
uh, we're going to look at four ways to practically get more joy in our life. Is everybody ready for that? Amen. Yeah? All right. So Luke chapter 2, we'll read from verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. In parentheses, there was, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So, we know this character in the Bible, Joseph, also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David, which we know becomes very important later on. Now, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. We read this and we hear this a lot around Christmas time. The passage, the part of the passage I want us to focus on comes in the next few verses. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, kind of like a spaceship, you know, hovering down, light lighting up the, the area. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. How many of you would be terrified if that were to happen? Yeah. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. What you internally, naturally want to feel, don't, don't feel that way. In fact, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The verse that we're going to focus on here today is, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And the question comes to me, like, what was it that the angels were thinking about when they thought about this great joy. What was it? And I can't help but think they simply thought about the joy of being saved. The joy of being saved. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel in the Christmas account in Matthew's gospel tells Joseph to name Jesus, Jesus, because the word Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Joshua or Yeshua, which simply means Savior. And when they said, name him Jesus, it was because the angel said he will save his people from their sin. I know that this is a beautiful picture because the angels here, when they said good news of great joy, they had in mind this, this picture of a manger, but they knew that the manger would lead to the cross. There was a manger, but someday would be a cross. Now, for years, God had always required a sacrifice for sin to be atoned for, right? You have a family, and you need your sin to be atoned for, and so you would take your best, best offering, and you would take it down to the temple once a year, and the priest there would slaughter the animal, and then your sin would be atoned for. And what the angels say right now is there's coming a time when that won't need to happen anymore because there will be a lamb that will be slain for all people for all time and your sin will be forgiven. 
salvation has always resulted in great joy. I think about when Jesus spoke in Luke's gospel and he told the story about a lost, lost coin. Remember the lady, she searches the house and she looks for that one coin. And when she finds it, there's great joy in the house. That's for salvation. That's a picture of salvation. There's a lost sheep and the shepherd goes out and he finds the, the one sheep. The 99 are safe and they're here and that's probably most of us in the room. We're all good. But there's, there's great joy when one Amen. sinner comes to repentance. And then he tells the story of the lost son. And we all know the, the, the prodigal son story. And we know about Jesus telling this story and demonstrating that the father is always looking out for the one that's lost. And when the son comes home, there's great, great joy. I think that it's a picture of the Old Testament too, when David, he's deep in his sin, and he's just committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he cries out to God in this moment of repentance, and he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. There's great joy in salvation. Um, I started getting drunk when I was 10 years old. Um, My mom and dad had both kind of followed in that way, and I just followed in their footsteps. And um, throughout my teenage years, I continued to drink heavily, and uh, I would go home from school in the middle of the day, get drunk, go back to school, uh, go to football practice, drunk. Um, I didn't get to play much anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, But I had been drunk for about 10 days uh, straight over spring break in my senior year. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I went to church on the last day of spring break. It was like the Sunday, and then we would go back to school on Monday. And there was this guy speaking, and I I couldn't tell you what he said, but I remember that he invited people up to the front for prayer, and they were singing a song, and it just said, Lord, I give you my heart, um, and Lord, I need you, and I receive you into my heart and into my soul. Take complete control. And as I stood there at the altar and sang those words, I was saved. Now, I'm a pretty serious person in general, like, but when I talk about salvation and I sing about salvation, and if you ever see me worshiping, I'm pretty expressive in worship. That's because I know what God saved me from. Um, A month or so ago, Pastor Charlie said that salvation um, was so amazing and it was a lot like Jesus diving off the cross into the depths of the sea to pull our lifeless body out of the ocean and breathe life into us. That's joy. How can we not experience joy when we have experienced such a great salvation? Hallelujah. Um, Psalm 126.3, I think we can all probably identify with this. It says, the Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. When we remember what God has saved us from, we can't help but be full of joy. Um, I think another thing that the angels were thinking about is that there is joy in being on the winning team. 
there's joy in being on the winning team. Now, we watch a lot of high school football at this phase of our life. We have three high schoolers that all were playing high school football until, unfortunately, that ended for us last night in the state semifinals. Tough loss. Um, anyway, but in high school football, um, we have this thing that we observe as parents, and we see that there is belief in being a winner. There's belief in being a part of a winning organization or a winning team. When you watch Alabama, like it or not, there's belief there that they're the best. When you watch Lake Travis, there's belief there that they're the best. And you can see it in the way that they run out onto the field. You can see it in their body language on the sidelines. You can see it. And my question for us today is, do we have that same kind of belief that we are a part of the winning team? 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this. It says, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory. Can everybody say that word? Victory. Come on, say it like you mean it. Victory. Yeah, victory. If you believe you have the victory, you run out onto the field of life very differently than if you don't. Victory. Believing you're on the winning team. Victory for moms and dads. Victory for college students. Victory for elementary kids. Victory, victory, victory. Victory for people who are trusting God for miracles. Victory for people who are battling depression. Victory for people who are struggling with anxiety. Victory for fear. Victory over hurts and hang-ups. Victory over insecurities. Victory of being on the winning team. Victory. This verse in 1 Corinthians is in the context of the resurrection of Jesus. And the angels, when they proclaimed that there'd be good news of great joy, they knew that Jesus wouldn't simply go to the cross, but that he would be raised from the dead someday. And that would be the means of victory. In fact, in 1 Corinthians verse 57, just preceding that in verse 56, it says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't just say thanks for one person, although it is for every one person. It says thanks be to God. He gives us, us. It talks about us because we're on a team together. We're advancing a mission together. I remember when Blake was playing uh, flag football. He was pretty young and He's a senior now, and uh, we joked with him last night and said, because he, he said, oh, my last high school football game, and he said, um, no, I still have intramurals, you know, so, um, so we, when, but I remember back when he was playing third or fourth grade, and we were playing over in Westlake, I-9 football, um, and I-9's all about having fun, you know, like you, everybody gets a participation trophy, which, anyway, um, <laughs> So um, we were there, and the coach was like, he would, his name's Houston, and Houston would always ask him, boys, did you have fun today? And when we lost, they would be like, yeah, we had fun. But one day we won, and he said, did you have fun today? And then he tipped his hand, and he said, yeah, it's a lot more fun to win than to lose, isn't it? <laughs> what he was saying, that there's joy 
that comes from being on the winning team. And that is simply what we should have as believers. Colossians chapter 2 talks about the joy that we receive from the victory of Christ and what he's accomplished for us over the seen and the unseen in our life. Colossians chapter 2, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then we sang about this earlier today. We've been set free. God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory. There it is again. Say it with me. He shamed them by publicly, by his victory over them on the cross. These are the same words that were used in Greek culture when it came to their battle. Uh, Powers demonstrates the first in rank. So these aren't like the, the people that aren't in charge. These are the first in rank people. The authority is the state of control over the region. And a public spectacle was literally a public shaming. The, the picture that you get is Roman generals, when they had won a battle, they would be kind of on their chariot. And I feel like I'm kind of in a chariot up here today, you know, like rolling through. They would be on a chariot. And as they're on the chariot, maybe they would have some family members in the chariot with them. And maybe there would be soldiers kind of flanking their sides and the enemy behind them being drugged in some kind of cage or maybe even just simply being drugged. That's what Jesus did to sin and Satan and all of the enemies and the darkness that goes to try to defeat you and I. He made them a public spectacle. The imagery Paul gives us is when he talks about this is Jesus at the cross was this Roman general and every bit of disease and darkness and fear and doubt gets drug behind the chariot. I thought about this. I thought about every enemy of joy. You know we have enemies of joy. It, w- w- fear, worry, anxiety. It, w- what about things that lead to a lack of joy like the news? So, I mean, some of us can simply defeat the enemy of joy by stop watching the news or stop surfing Facebook or, I mean, am I speaking to anybody else besides myself here? I mean, political systems, all of those things that could be enemies of joy. And what was beautiful about the picture of the Roman general as he strolled through town, the soldiers would all be just shouting triumph, triumph, triumph. And that's what Jesus speaks over us today. Triumph, triumph, triumph. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you're on the winning team. It's for today. It's for tomorrow. It's for the next day. And it's for all time. Um, Marco might be mad at me for sharing this story because he's about to go into the book of Revelation, but I'm going to share it anyway. 
uh, Vernon Grounds tells an incident um, that happened while he was in seminary, and he says that since the school had no gymnasium, he and his friends played basketball in a nearby public school. Nearby, an elderly janitor waited patiently until the seminarians finished playing, and invariably, he sat there reading his Bible. And one day, he says, my friend asked him what he was reading, and the man answered, the book of Revelation. Surprise, my friend asked him, do you understand it? <laughs> he said, oh yes, I understand it. My friend asked him, what does it mean? Quietly, the janitor answered, it means that Jesus is going to win. Grounds concludes, that's the best commentary I've ever heard on that book. Jesus is going to win. That's the biblical mindset. You're on the winning team. Believe it. Speak it. Live it. We used to sing this song um, around the churches that we kind of grew up in. And it was just a simple phrase. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind. Victory today is mine. And then we'd replace it with joy. Joy is mine. And here's what I know to be true. Joy and victory go together. There's joy in this victorious life that we have. I might not even get to my um, four practical points, but, but, but let me just, here's what I think sometimes happens. You know, back in 2009, University of Texas played the University of Alabama in the national championship game. Remember that? We tried to forget it, right? Yeah, as Texans. Um, I'm a Texas fan. My wife's an Alabama fan. Uh, um, if you remember that game, early in the game, Colt McCoy goes down with an injury. They put in the Lake Travis former. He was just playing uh, about six months before in the Texas high school state championship, Garrett Gilbert, he goes to the University of Texas as a freshman. They're going to redshirt him all year, and then he's going to get four years of eligibility. They put him in to finish the game against the University of Alabama, and we lose. We lose. So we're the losing team, and unfortunately, we haven't had much success since then. But can I tell you that that night, that there was probably two sets of apparel that were printed. There was one set of apparel that was printed that said, Alabama National Champions. And there was another set of apparel that said, University of Texas National Champions. Can I tell you, that sometimes that I think we tend to go over here and we wear the wrong apparel. We are supposed to be on the championship winning team and we should have the joy that comes along with that and yet we slip over here into the defeated team and we put on a different set of clothes and even though it says national champions, we're not. We're not acting like it. I want us to have joy. Um, 
And I know that true joy only comes from the power of a relationship with God. Um, let, let me, how much, Marco, you are so good at always keeping time. I, I didn't even look at that. So, okay. So four, four ways to find joy really quickly. Four ways. Number one, trust God and his word are true. Trust God and his word are true. In this Christmas account where the angel speaks to Mary, um, you can imagine how freaked out she was going to be. Like, pretty unexpected moment. And yet, at the same time, what she says is, she says, my soul rejoices in God my Savior. In the midst of unexpected times, you can have great joy in God. Why? Why? Because his word is true. He's faithful to his promises. Derek spoke last week and he talked about how God's word doesn't change. Our circumstances change. We get bad news. We get the unexpected report. We get the broken relationship. Those things happen. Our circumstances change, but God's word doesn't change. In fact, I would say that the truth of God's word will change the facts. The truth will change the facts. Think about it this way. The, the fact was, you and I, we were lost. We were sinners. We were broken and undone. What changed that for us to make us saints before God? It was believing the truth. We believe the truth of God's word that Jesus died, died on the cross for our sin and therefore the truth changed the facts. When you experience sickness or disease, Derek talked about this last week, you believe that by his wounds we have been healed. And as a result, the truth of God's word can change the facts. Do we experience the immediate results of that? No, but we don't with salvation either. We simply believe the truth of God's word. Here's my prayer for you this Christmas season. Romans 15, 13, that may the God of hope fill you with all joy, all joy and peace as you trust in him. And I would add, trust in his word. Second key of how to have more joy is to reframe tough times, to reframe tough times. When I was a kid, we watched a TV show at my grandparents' house called Hee Haw. I'm from Southeast Texas, and we just did things that way. Anyway, there was a skit they used to do where they would say, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Um, some of you may remember that skit. It was actually a song by Buck Owens and Roy Clark. And the chorus goes, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm depressed now. Okay. Here's the thing. It's not a matter of if we will experience tough times. It's a matter of when we will experience tough times. Jesus said it this way. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. James, Jesus' half-brother, says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. 
What does that look like? What does that mean? It means thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to trust you to provide. Thank you, Lord, for the trial that I'm going through. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to trust you for healing. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to trust you to restore that broken relationship. What's something in the scripture that looked like the worst possible thing that could have ever happened to Jesus? It was the cross. We look at the cross and the disciples at the time, they thought, this is the end. Like, this is the worst possible thing. But let's see what Hebrews 12 says. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, the thing that rob our joy, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the, what's the word? Joy set before him. He did what? endured the cross. Jesus didn't see the cross as something to be endured. He saw the cross as a joyful thing. Why? Because he knew that you and I were in his focus. We need to reframe the tough things we're going through because we know that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Third, humble yourself. How do we get more joy? We humble ourselves. We serve someone. We celebrate other successes. Teddy Roosevelt is credited for saying that comparison is the thief of joy. And I would add my own statement that celebration leads to joy. Celebrating others, but it takes humility to celebrate other success. It takes, it takes humility to say, hey, you go first. Um, one of the things that Marco forgot to announce was that um, we have a partnership with 1231 and we're providing Christmas meals for them, which is perfect because now I can talk about it. Um, but that's an opportunity to serve someone. And, you know, I think about all the opportunities that are around us every single day. And that's just an opportunity for us to humble ourselves, to say, you're better than me, and I'm going to serve you. And don't post about it on social media, just do it. Um, this last point is so heavy on my heart, and um, I, I, I felt like there, this message was kind of twofold today. Um, one would be, I want you to experience the joy that comes through Christ. Um, and I also know that this last point is so important in our relationship with Christ, and that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. And as you grow in God, you begin to display the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. The book of Ephesians says that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
And ultimately, we should seek God to pour out his spirit on us so that we're completely full of joy, victorious over sin, and sent out on mission to know Christ, to make him known. Over and over again, we see the church uh, and new believers in the New Testament, we see them being filled with the Holy Spirit, sent out on mission. Filled with the Holy Spirit, sent out on mission. And a number of times, as we see them going out, as we see them being filled with the Holy Spirit, we see them speaking in tongues. And a walk through a brief survey of these um, would show us again and again where people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they speak in other tongues. And you may be here today, and I'll just say this. I pastored for 20 years, and I've taught on this subject twice. Um, and so I want you to know that as I'm talking about this, it's simply because I feel like God wants something for us here today. Um, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, um, all, and you can just jot these down, they won't come up on the screen, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Um, that particular instance was a one-time historical event, never to be duplicated again. When they were speaking in tongues, there were people from all over the region and they could hear them speaking in their own dialect. Okay, so they're speaking supernaturally, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why? So that the gospel could spread. In other instances, it seems to be more of a devotional kind of language that's happening. So in Acts chapter 8, um, it's interesting because it's a, it's a subsequent event. For, verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said that when you become a believer, you also receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's true. And there seems to be a subsequent event that happens after belief. And I'm not sure, and I don't understand it all, and God's economy and how it works, but that's essentially what happens here. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 9, you all know the story. Saul becomes Paul because Jesus encounters him on the road to Damascus, and when he encounters him, he blinds his eyes. There's a supernatural thing that happens. He goes to see a guy and tells him that Jesus sent him, and while he's there... The scales fall off his eyes and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. We just know that there's an accompanying sign that comes with being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to the, the home of Cornelius. And Cornelius is a, a God-fearing man, as the scripture says. And Peter preaches the gospel to him. And here's what happens is the people who are there with Peter, they, they're amazed. They're, they're Jewish people and they're in a Gentile's house and Peter's speaking and the Holy Spirit comes on all the Gentiles, all the people that are there. And as, he, as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, the circumcised believers, that's the Jews who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Amen. 
for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. I, I was reading this week in Acts chapter 13, and in Acts 13, a similar kind of story happens. The, the, uh, Paul, and they're going and they're preaching the gospel to a Gentile group of people, and all of the Gentiles are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And I, I thought, you know, what was that sign that maybe indicated that they were joyful? And I thought, that, that very likely could have been that they were just speaking in tongues. And that was a joyful expression unto God. Um, in Acts chapter 19, while, Paul, where, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior. He arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Wait, you believed? And now you're going to receive the Holy Spirit? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? They said John's baptism, which is a baptism for forgiveness of sin. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, about a month ago, we were singing at the night of worship that we had here at the church, and um, I felt so heavy on my heart that I was supposed to share this when I speak today. Um, we sang a song uh, that says, is it a fragrance? Then I'll, I'll pour out my oil. I pour my oil out. Is, is it a life laid down? Then, then here, I, I, I'll give my vows. Is it a song that I sing? Then here's every melody. Just tell me what moves you. Tell me what moves you. And I thought about that phrase and I felt like God was saying that my people need to understand this joyful gift of speaking in tongues as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, let me just say, if that's super weird for you, I get it. And you may be like, what is this church? Is it Pentecostal, charismatic? I mean, <laughs> it's just a Bible church. We believe that God's word teaches us how we should live and it gives us an invitation of what he wants for us. Um, when I first came to know Jesus, um, I came to know Jesus at a church that taught this. And I had people telling me, don't go to that church because if you hear those people speaking in tongues, that means it's of the devil. I'm not kidding. And, and so uh, obviously I was confused and, and maybe that's your tradition. Maybe, maybe you heard something about, you know, being in tongues couldn't be from God. But here's what I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that the apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, what he said, he said, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, it's not for you. They speak to God. Indeed, you can't understand me when I speak in that devotional language of tongues. They utter mysteries by the Holy Spirit. 
Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies who? Themselves. You need some joy in your life? Maybe praying in tongues would be the gateway to that. For Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So, so what, what should I do? Should that mean I'm going to pray with the Spirit and I'm also going to pray with my understanding? I'm going to sing with my Spirit, but I'm also going to sing with my understanding. I thank God, Paul says, that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Is that of the devil? No. That's a gift of God for the church. I got to a point um, when I first got saved where I was... I was all in. I wanted all that God had for me. And I wanted to be full to overflowing in the Holy Spirit so that I could make a difference for him. Um, So I prayed and prayed in prayer. Um, I'd come up to the altar. I'm going to invite some of you who want to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a few moments to come up for prayer. But I would come to the altar and I would pray and I would ask God to give me that ability. And it wasn't until several months went by of praying earnestly and asking God to fill me and really going hard after God that I went home one Sunday evening and and I simply began to pray in tongues in the privacy of my own bedroom. And what occurred to me then, and I believe is true today, is that it might be very uncomfortable. Even as I've talked about this for some of you, it might be very uncomfortable to go to that place. And um, I think about how we as Western logical Americans are all about control. And so speaking in a language we've never learned before, like that feels a little bit out of control. And that's exactly where God wants you to be. That's where God wants you to be. He doesn't want you in control. He wants to be in control. And so I sense that there are some people here today who kind of want to rise above the fray of their spiritual life and they want all that God has for them. And I want to invite you, Micah and Lindsay, y'all can come up. Um, I want to invite you, if you're here today and you would say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want all that God has for me. And if it means speaking in tongues, then great. If it doesn't mean speaking in tongues, then that's okay too. I just want all of what you have for me, God. Um, and if you want someone to pray for you, there are other people who would be happy to pray for you. We're gonna, we're gonna do that. Um, when we were singing that song a few weeks back and we were singing that, tell me what moves you, it made me think of all the times where I was struggling and I began to pray in the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues. And the Holy Spirit would just lift me up, lift my spirit. And what I've thought about is something, I don't understand it, but God doesn't move. No, I move. I move closer to God as a result of what I'm speaking there. 
So being filled with the Holy Spirit and subsequently speaking in tongues has brought so much joy into my life. And I want that for you. That you would be filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with the joy that God has for you. Let me pray and then we'll invite you to come up. Thank you for listening to the Hope Rock Church at Lake Travis podcast. We are a church that is passionate about knowing Christ and making Him known in our city, the nation, and the ends of the earth. For more information on who we are, please go to www.hoperockchurch.com or find us on Facebook.